Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But nobody go out chop us. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, are here on a Sunday morning. We're chopping. We're here. Hopefully that audio came through because we're still not 100% sure. But, um, man, we're 6-0. and We're bowling. I, I don't know how many other things I can say right now without just getting too excited. So I'll turn it over to you, Scott. You were at the game. So I first of all, before we get into anything else, uh, you did have the back of your uh, your head flash on TV for a minute in the Kenneth Walker touchdown. Uh, but uh, give me just a vibe check of the stadium. I don't know how many Spartan fans were there. I know that there weren't too many Rutgers fans there from the pan over shots. The student section was horrendous. But give me uh, an in-person vibe check of that game. Yeah, it was... Um, the tailgating scene was great. Uh, but the stadium there were not a lot of fans there were not a lot of Rutgers fans there were not a lot of Michigan State fans it was probably five to ten percent MSU not a whole lot of Spartans made the trip uh not a whole lot of Scarlet Knights made the trip um but I mean the vibes for the Michigan State fans were certainly a lot better than than for Rutgers they did their best uh you know they tried to make it flashy they got a fun train whistle and some fireworks and a cannon and a a horse and everything but still struggled to bring people in i think if everybody who was at the tailgate was interested in going to the game they certainly would have filled that stadium but uh, i think it's one of those places where the tailgating draws a bigger crowd than the actual game for obvious reasons so um yeah it was a lot of fun though i was down in the front row right behind msu's bench it was the best game day seats uh viewing experience i've ever had it was awesome i was right by the kicking net so i was uh trying to chat with bryce berenger and matt coglin all game although they they were very focused and uh and i couldn't get a couldn't get their attention but that's fine you can blame the missed field goal on me um but it was fun it was great i mean obviously we won it was a fun game to watch a lot of explosive plays for our offense uh defense played well um yeah it was it was fun but yeah, five check it, their game day experience. It, it could use some more work. 
Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't want to pile on Rutgers. It goes back to what we were saying before the game with some of the trick play stuff that they run, the fans not really being that interested to actually go to the game. I, as as much as Greg Schiano has pumped some life into the program, it's it's still not a anywhere near a top tier program and especially in the big 10 where you have some just establishments some college football establishments in you know michigan penn state ohio state michigan state iowa wisconsin they're very much on the bottom tier of that but they're a much better team and you know we've seen that over the last couple years and michigan state just rolled in there played i don't know a c-plus game and came out winning by a couple scores. And that's, it kind of goes back to like, we, we mentioned this a little bit, like we're in a position that feels very weird because going into the season, the expectations were what they were. And we're playing not nearly our best football and winning games by two plus touchdowns. It, it just, it doesn't feel right. Uh, it, it feels like this is what, a, a great college football team should do like, ah, oh, you don't play your best, but you still come out winning comfortably. Michigan state's doing that right now and, and putting a lot of people on watch uh, for, for what could be the rest of the season. We'll get into some of that here, but it's, it's a great place to be six and oh is a great place to be after all of the off season of wondering what's the ceiling for this team. What's the floor for this team as well. Here we are. 6-0, and rolling into what is the toughest part of our schedule, but still with a couple winnable games left here. So um, we'll get into all of that. First, I have a message from DraftKings, an official online sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can, get, can uh, bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Uh, that seems like pretty good odds to me. There aren't too many zero zero ties in the NFL. If, if, uh, the DraftKings Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty handed. You can still play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings daily fantasy sports contests. Uh, they're giving new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now use promo code TPPN for the pigskin podcast network of which we are a proud member throw down $1 on any NFL game and win a hundred dollars in free bets. If either team scores a point promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only new customers, only minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See draftkings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Scott, I feel like I'm going to get to the point where like, you know, where they speed up the TV thing for like the the heart medicine where they just heart attack and death. I feel like I'm getting to that point with the terms and conditions here. I'm dialed in. We're 6-0. Where do we want to start with this game? Uh, there's a lot of places we can go. Some good, some bad, ultimately a win. Where are we starting this thing off? Yeah, so we'll get to the offense. I think that's where most of the fun is. We'll even get to the defense. Had some fun there, too. Um, but this game was not all roses at the very beginning. And if you were um, following along with our fan base on Twitter, 
as I wasn't as much as usual, but I did scroll through after the game. Um, there were some unhappy folks in, around the first quarter, slow start, defense came out kind of sleepy. We had some penalties, some procedural stuff, some weird coaching decisions. Um, so let's start uh, with the coaching. Let's rip that Band-Aid off right now, because I think this is the first game where we really started to see some some questionable coaching decisions. And I don't just mean play calls, right? I mean, play calls are what they are. When they work, they look great. When they don't work, they look terrible. But you saw some strange clock management at the end of the first half. You saw that fake field goal attempt, which really never had a chance. That I want to um, stop you there. And that fake field goal attempt, I didn't mind it situationally right you're on the road against what a lot of people said was a trap game the it was what fourth and two fourth and three in that kind of no man's land I I didn't hate the situational play call but somebody pointed this out that Matt Coughlin was running onto the field and then coach Tucker like ran out and stopped him to to give him a little message before he kept running out which was like signal number one to the Rutgers side that like, Hey, something's going on there. Like wh why would he stop the kicker as he's running out onto the field? It, he wouldn't just be saying like, Hey, uh, make sure you make the field goal. Like <laughs> something was up there. And then the design of that fake field goal was terrible. I you're going to just count on either complete and total deception that your punter, who is the holder Bryce Berenger that your punter's going to be able to just roll out to the right side and nobody will be there because the whole special teams unit was completely baffled by it. Or you were counting on your punter making somebody miss on the edge, which is just not a good idea. There was nobody to throw the ball to. There was nobody to pitch the ball to. It was Bryce Berenger, you're going to get the ball and you're going to take this thing by yourself. <laughs> that was baffling to me there were two people that ran out past the line of scrimmage to the opposite side of the field I don't know if that was like hey that was supposed to be the other two guys running to his side or something I don't know the design was terrible situationally I didn't mind it the design was horrible yeah Mel Tucker did say in his press conference after the game that they missed a few blocks um but when you watch the replay, it's hard to know which, like, there's not a couple guys where you can see where it's like, oh, yeah, if he makes that play, the whole thing's like, there was like four unblocked free hitters coming down on our punter in the backfield. Um, that's not a couple blocks away from turning it loose. Um, the situational, I mean, I'm okay with it, I guess, if it works fine. But in this game where you know, Rutgers isn't the strongest team, right? I mean, just take the points, get your kick, your field goal kicker, his record right off the bat, right? Because maybe Matt Coughlin was the only one feeling pressure about that record in the stadium, but I'm sure he was feeling a little bit, right? It's, it's at least in his head. Uh, it's a big day for him. I would have taken the points, just get an early lead, you know, get your defense out there. But I, I don't hate the call, but yeah, just, I guess they didn't rep it enough or they thought, Rutgers had some tendencies on the field goal block that did not come through or just everybody had no idea what to do. But anyway, that was strange call. Number one, the second time it came up, 
uh, from a coaching perspective for me was the end of the half, which actually in the stadium, I wasn't as aware of the clock as I'm sure folks were at home with the scoreboard staring them down on their television. I honestly, when that drive started, there was like six minutes left in the half, five minutes left, something like that. So I didn't even have like the, the clock on my mind at all. And then all of a sudden in the last two minutes, they just like screamed through the clock um, while we were still trying to move the ball down the field. And like, we, we threw that and I'm like, all right, incomplete, kick the field goal. And then like, I look up and there's zeros on the clock and I had no idea how he got there, but um, it was just bad. And, and Mel Tucker in his, like in the clip that they showed of him talking to the team um, after the game in the locker room, you know, he says like, you know, everybody's got to be better. And he starts it with these like coaches have to be better players have to, you know, so he, I think there's, he's going to take his, his lumps with his team on this one. I think he knows that, that he made some mistakes here and obviously you got to take accountability for that. Um, but it wasn't his best game. And I'm, I don't want to dwell on this too much. I just wanted to note it as like, Hey, Mel Tucker's human too. It's an aspect we got to keep track of that coaches make mistakes we've seen it with Scott Frost we've seen it with James Franklin in game I mean we've seen it with good coaches right everyone has to stay focused and and do their part um and and Mel Tucker and his staff kind of got a little loose at times um and that was one of the first times we've I think really seen that this season so um yeah and and past that too something I want to make sure that we mention before we move on to the good stuff special teams wise I this was back to 2020 special teams today. It was, or yesterday, it was terrible. I, everything was terrible. I remember last year we were talking, fire the special teams coordinator. The kickoff team is bad. The punt team is bad. The punt return team is bad. The kick return team is bad. Everything. Yesterday, I, I rewatched the game and I wanted to make sure I marked down everything that special teams did wrong. So the fake field goal, obviously, you know, we covered that. There was a Bryce Berenger punt where he 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 did his job. I mean, he put the ball, he plenty of hang time for the guys to get down there. It bounced inside the five yard line, and it was Montori Foster. He just missed it. Like he he should have downed that ball inside the five. Missed opportunity there. You had the Jalen Naylor decided to take out a kick return from the end zone. He only got to the thirteen yard line. Uh, which was not good. You had the field goal block at the end of the half after the Greg Schiano turnover fiasco that the the announcers, Scott, I don't know if you, if you were rewatching and with audio at that point, the announcers were, look at Greg Schiano. This, you know, he's he's pulling out all the stops with the turn with the timeouts. I'm like, all right, the, the dude called a couple timeouts. Like, let's let's slow down on the praise here. Uh, but that field goal block. You had a Rutgers kick return that went back to about the 40-yard line to give them good field position. And then on top of all of that, you had five special teams penalties. Five penalties that were exclusively on special teams, whether it was a false start on the punt team, whether it was a delay of game on the punt team from your own, what, 20-yard line. You know, there's a couple times where you get those delay of games into opponent's territory where you're like, ah, all right, maybe they were just trying to give their punter a little more room. And it seems like it was deliberate. Um, these were delay of games that were not favorable in terms of down and distance and, and situational. So we got to clean that up first and foremost. Mel Tucker has made special teams a point of emphasis, putting starters on special teams and, and everything like that. It's It's been an absolute 
it was an absolute disaster yesterday. It's been good the rest of this season. So, you know, we, there is kind of hope on the other side of the rainbow or, or whatever expression you want to use there. But yeah, the special teams was bad yesterday. It was a disaster in all phases of special teams. And, and that's point one a to get cleaned up heading into next week against Indiana and heading down the stretch here against uh, the big 10 slate. Yeah. I mean, it was frustrating. Um, I think what drove me most crazy in the stadium was the four or five punting delay of games we had. I think the first time we, it was a field position situation. We, it was like fourth and two. We tried to draw them off sides. Didn't get it. We were at like the 34 yard line and we just wanted to back up a little fine. But later in the game, we we were trying to kick it from like our 15 and we had back to back delay of games and they were legit, just couldn't get the snap off in time. And that's like prime field. You need your field position down there. It ended up, I think we were snapping from like the six or seven yard line. Bryce Berenger was in the end zone um, and he only kicked it to like their 45, which all things considered wasn't terrible, but you know, that's, and then it happened later in the game too. So that was really frustrating um, you mentioned, you know, the returns were really non-existent. Some of them were just fair catches, but like the nailer return, he got out to like the 12 yard line and then just stopped his feet. And you can't do that on a return. You got to keep moving. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just frustrating. I mean, the negative is obviously there's things to clean up. They were bad plays. The positive is we won by 18 and we still have things to coach, right? The worst thing for a coach is a big win where there's no negatives. There's nothing to coach the next week. The best thing for a coach is a big win like this, where you didn't really stress, but you still have plenty of tape to go through and, and get on your players about. So in that respect, it's good for them, but it's still plays you don't really want to be making in the second half of the season. So um, yeah, definitely going to have to clean that up. Um, But like I said, all things considered, we still won by 18 Thanks to our offense and our defense. This was not like Nebraska where the special teams won the game. This was the exact opposite. Our, our main units won this game. Again, we're going to get to the offense. I think it's the most fun, but I want to start with this defense. Um, I'll start by saying Rutgers is not the best offense we're going to play this year. Um, they're one of the worst offenses we've played so far this year. Especially um, without Bo Melton, who was their best receiver, without, who was out. Yep. Yeah, um, so the defense, they came out and I think they were sleepy road game, right. Uh, against not the best co- opponent. I'm sure they, you know, are excited, but still you could tell that first drive, they were missing tackles without Cal holiday, right. One of the leaders of the defense, he's out. You have guys trying to step up. So rough first drive, um, Rutgers script works to perfection. Uh, no, if a draw looks like, Deshaun Watson, um, and they go down, they get their touchdown. Ma'a Nauteote actually came in, surprisingly, on the goal line package in the first drive, which I'm sure had something to do with Cal Halliday being out, but still exciting to see him getting very meaningful snaps. Unfortunately, he lost contain on Crookshank and it led to the touchdown, but I think it would have been a hard play for anyone. Um, but the defense came out sleepy. They gave up a touchdown, first drive. We were sitting there in the stands. We had already punted once, or we had the no, it was a fake field goal, right? So we had already had a failed drive. Rutgers comes down, waltzes down the field and scores. And I'm sitting there in the stands like, please tell me I didn't just spend a bunch of money to watch us lose to Rutgers in their stadium, right? The vibes were were plummeting quickly. Um, but the rest of the game, we gave up two field goals. 
One of them was that extended drive with the two personal fouls. One of them on Jacob Panishik, one of the worst late hit calls I've ever seen. And I don't mean that. Um, that's, I don't think that's an exaggeration. That it was, was inexcusable. Like the refing this game, I, I don't want to be a guy that complains about the refs, but the refing in general was pretty bad. That call was terrible. I, I don't yeah. know how you could possibly, possibly see a late hit there. I, and the announcers, to their credit, called that out as well. They're like, I, yeah. I, he literally didn't touch him. So that drive gets extended. And we know with this defense, right, we are only going to get so many chances over the course of a drive to get off the field. There's going to be probably one, two, three plays before a team gets into field goal range that you have the opportunity with the way that we play defense to get off the field, barring something crazy like a, like a turnover. Um, and that extended the drive, led to their first field goal. And then their second field goal was a result of the Peyton Thorne fumbled snap where our defense went three and out, but they were already in field goal range. So they get it. So all things considered, the defense basically gave up seven points. Um, And Rutgers, I mean, like I said, they're not the best offense in the country, but they score enough against decent teams, right? I mean, they scored 17 against Syracuse, which wasn't great. They scored 14 against Michigan, who has a good defense. And their other three games against bad teams, they scored a lot. So they're a capable offense, and we basically held them to seven points on one sleepy drive to start the game, shut them down the rest of the way. Um, and really, I think it was led by the defensive line. Yeah, um, you like had real Jacob- quick, too, on that note, like starting from that field goal where, you know, after the fumble where Luke Campbell scoops it up and tries to be Barry Sanders out there, uh, <laughs> Rutgers had one, two, three, four, five, six drives. So the end of the second quarter into the entire third quarter of football, six drives. 29 yards and three points because they started that one drive in field goal range. It was absolutely shut down. I think there was one first down in there and that was it. So now hats off to the defense for again, outside of that first drive. And then that late basically garbage time drive by the end of it, uh, where they started moving the ball a little bit more outstanding performance for 90% of that game. Yeah, and I think it was led, like I was saying, by our defensive line. Jacob Panishuk was productive again. He had a sack, plenty of hurries. Um, You had Jacob Slade with his usual production. Jeff Petrovsky was getting into the backfield. But the guy that I really want to shout out today, and he's been emerging throughout the season, but I think he finally really announced himself, um, is Simeon Barrow. And we've seen him starting, and it was kind of a surprise to see him starting over Deshaun Mallory and Jalen Hunt earlier in the year. And he's been making, he's been flashing here and there. But two sacks, he had his first sack. He, it was a freshman guard, so take that he with a grain of salt. But he dude. absolutely deposited this guy on his ass in the pocket, just rolled right over him into the quarterback's legs and took him straight down to the ground. I mean, he they looked like they were playing a different sport. That looked like a high school that looked like a five-star recruit against a typical high school offensive lineman who's undersized just gets thrown into the backfield that that um, was the best Barrow, comparison too right when you see like you know we remember like Devonte dobbs high school tape right and it's just it's the one kid that's bigger and stronger than everyone else and he just lifts a guy off the ground because you know he's, that's what that was he absolutely he buried that guy in the turf and i don't think he ever recovered from it <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, it was, it was impressive. Um, so Simeon Barrow looking like a starter now next to Jacob Slade, unexpected, kind of one of those guys coming into the year where I don't think a whole lot of people had our eyes on him. I and mean, we were hearing a little chatter like, Hey, this kid might be kind of good, but we thought we had a lot of depth ahead of him. And when he comes out and starts getting big snaps right away and we're seeing why, um, on that note too, Deshaun Mallory on the defensive tackles had a great game. He's been a little bit quieter than I, I was expecting this season so far, but yesterday he was in the backfield. He was making tackles. He put a couple big hits on the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, the I was, there was straight. that one in like the third quarter where that was audible, just laid the hammer down on him. And that's one of those plays where you don't make if you're still 330 pounds just because you can't be that explosive to lay that big of a hit in a short area. Oh, man, I, I felt that one on my couch. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, everybody in that in that defensive tackle unit, really, Maverick Hansen had a sackle, a sackle, a sack and a, ta- a half tackle for loss getting ahead of myself in another QB hurry. He's been, he's been a quiet killer all season. Um, and the defensive Eds did what they do. We're still missing Drew Beasley, obviously, but, um, but really just a dominant performance in the trenches for that defensive line. yesterday. No, and I'm glad you bring up the, the defensive tackles because, you know, self pat on the back by, by us. We, we talked about Simeon Barrow after the spring game. We're like, you know, Hey, this kid looks really good out there. Like maybe he could make a little role for himself. We, I can speak for myself and saying, I definitely didn't see him having this much of a role because the whole conversation before the year is I really love this defensive tackle group. It's Jalen hunt. It's Deshaun Mallory and it's Jacob Slade. And it's this three man rotation. That's going to be really, really good. And it was like, okay, yeah, great. Now, all of a sudden Simeon Burrows here, Maverick Hansen's here. And there's just a steady rotation along the whole defensive line, because even without Drew Beasley, you have Panashuk, you have Petrovsky, you have uh, Drew Jordan, who's just been playing really solid ball. He hasn't been anything special. He hasn't made any eye-popping plays. Just playing solid ball out there. Um, Fletcher still gets a couple reps here and there, still hasn't broken through to the level we, we're waiting for. But the whole defensive line we're rolling like three units deep on, on both spots that are all making an impact consistently. Kyle King out there. Like there are guys up and down the depth chart that have made plays at, at points in this season. And that's really exciting and something that I definitely did not. We, we talked about it with the defensive ends going into the year. We did not talk about it enough with the defensive tackle. These guys have been amazing. And that's going to come into play when you start, you know, we will talk about this later on in the podcast, but when you start getting into the, the tough parts of this schedule where we're playing Michigan, we're playing Ohio state, we're playing Penn state and you have, whether it's a mobile quarterback that you have guys trying to keep up with, whether it's a, it's a tough ground game, like Michigan presents to you, you have a rotation of defensive linemen who are going to come in energized ready to to make an impact they're not going to get tired they're not going to get exhausted by the fourth quarter we're just going to keep rolling these guys out there and and they're playing great ball top to bottom um we we were talking about so we we were texting a little bit this morning before we started recording as both of us were re-watching the whole game and 
you know, you brought up that like, man, there's, there's just so much to talk about here. And the first thing I responded with, and it's not the first, you know, kind of key highlight or the, you know, the key takeaway coming out of this game. But the first thing I said was, this is the best safety group since the no fly zone. Like, and we haven't really talked about it, right? Because Xavier Henderson, I don't think he's missed an open field tackle all year. And that's like, you know, a little bit of hyperbole, I know, but I really don't think he's missed an open field tackle all season. It's, it's amazing what he has been able to do this season in space. And then you add on top of that, Angelo Gross, the sugar, uh, the sugar weasel, right? Weasel. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'm like, I, I was like sugar badger. No, that's wrong. Sugar rodent. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the sugar rodent um, has, has just, you know, we talk about it every week. He just keeps getting better and better and better. And I know that big hit that he had on the receiver you mentioned in the group chat was like right in front of you in the stands. I mean, he's popping dudes when he comes up to make plays, he still has that playmakers mentality but now he's just doing it from, you know, almost like the bird's eye view at that free safety spot where he can just sit back, diagnose, and then attack. And he's been outstanding this year. This safety group is every bit as good as that no-fly zone duo with uh, Isaiah Lewis and Curtis Drummond. And I'm not saying that lightly because those two were both all Big Ten type guys. They've been awesome this year and just continue to play great ball. Yeah, I mean, we're probably taking Xavier Henderson for granted more than we should. You mentioned we haven't given the safeties a lot of love so far this year, and Xavier Henderson's been our best defender. Despite what Jacob Panaschuk's doing up front, despite what anybody else is doing, Cal Halliday obviously emerging, Xavier Henderson is the best player on the field when he's on the field, um, and he makes it pretty clear. He had that strip um, fumble. I don't think we recovered it, but he did force it um, later, I think third or fourth quarter yesterday. Um, again, sorry if I'm saying yesterday, it's Sunday for us. It'll, it'll be Monday for the folks listening, but Angelo gross exploded off the film yesterday. He had the one big hit. He had like four or five big hits, um, in that game. He had one where the tight end was, was going up for one and he slammed the dude, the ball popped loose. I think he rung his own bell a little bit. And I think that's something he does need to be a little bit careful with because he goes in with a lot of energy and he comes up. His, his knees look a little shaky sometimes when he gets up. So I hope he takes care of himself and keeps that in mind, but he certainly knows how to, uh, to, to bring the wood. And um, the one thing I will say on the safeties, defensive backs as a whole from yesterday, there were a couple deep corner routes that were there yesterday. I think they only hit one or two. There were another couple where, um, Rutgers quarterback Nova Drawl just isn't really a good enough quarterback, I think, to hit it consistently, but it was available. Um, there was so the one on the left the... sideline that should have been a walk in 50 yard touchdown, and he just yeah, missed it. And they had another one that was complete, and it was just a little, it was like a half yard too long, so the dude caught it but stumbled and fell. Um, and those are plays that are going to resurface when we play better teams with better quarterbacks. You look at a Purdue. You look at sometimes in Maryland, certainly Ohio State, Penn State, if Sean Clifford is, I mean, we're, we're going to be playing better quarterbacks, quite a few of them. Yeah, Ohio the State's hitting season. that throw every time. Right. Um, so we're going to have to clean that up or it's going to come back to haunt us later this year. 
Um, we hadn't seen it the previous couple games, um, but we saw it against Northwestern first game of the year and Mel Tucker commented on it. And then it kind of went dormant. We weren't facing the same level of receivers um, or quarterbacks, but it started to rear its ugly head again yesterday. It didn't bite. It didn't burn us too bad yesterday, but it is something I noticed. I don't think it was as much the safeties as it is the corners. We're playing a lot of that cover three and it's on the outside. So it's just the corners kind of losing their, their contain over the top. Um, and it's something we know the corners aren't the strongest group on the field. Uh, I think they've done a pretty good job, all things considered so far this year, but. And we're bringing in new guys too. Marquis Lowry playing a ton of snaps yesterday out of nowhere, uh, played pretty well, all things considered really physical. Um, yep. at times, maybe a little too physical, maybe got away with a couple, uh, but played really physical, played really well. I, I think that was intriguing at, at the very least and, and exciting, if not a little more, because we talked about when Kalon Gervin entered the portal, it was like, well, that's, you know, a, a position where we don't really have a whole lot of depth. So if we're losing a, a starter there, you're you're questioning what can happen if somebody goes down with an injury or if we just need you know we we continue to rotate these guys um so Marky Lowry being able to step in and play well I think is really important for you know again you get to the deeper into the Big Ten slate you're gonna see teams that are trying to to spread it out and we're gonna have to put more corners on the field or Look, at the end of the day, it sucks, but injuries in football are inevitable. You know, something's going to come up where your depth is going to be tested. So having Lowry in there as somebody who, okay, we've seen him on the field in a real game, in a Big Ten matchup on the road, and he stepped in and played well. That that was super important. Um, yeah, outside of that, I mean, Cal Halliday being out for the first half, Again, it, it reared its ugly head there in the first drive of the game. And then the defense settled in. He came in and made an immediate impact. You could tell he was he was fired up to come in. He made a couple tackles for loss. Like he he was ready to play when his number was called there in the second half. Uh, the water boy out there uh, again. It was good to see. But Quaver's crouch again continues getting better. Noah Harvey. I don't know if you noticed this, Scott for as much as I've criticized him over the last year and a half, I have to give him credit for this one in the red zone. Rutgers ran a stretch play and Noah Harvey chased him down and made a tackle behind the line of scrimmage on the sideline. And I, I stood up off of my couch. I'm like, at a boy, that was, that was really exciting. Uh, just to see that he is capable of making that play. And again, because I've criticized him a lot, uh, I have to give him credit for that play because uh, no, was, that was a great job. But there is a, enough depth, I think, at the linebacker spot where if something happens again, uh, we have enough there to to step in. And you know, with with Cal Halliday being out in the first half, maybe that's a blessing in disguise. Where you know we we get some of these guys a little more reps. You mentioned Nauteote being out there on the field, and it just gives guys an opportunity to gain some confidence as we get later on in the season where you never know what can happen and, and they might be a little more needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a good, I mean, 
my last note, it was a good defensive day against a bad offense at the end of the day. That's what it was. You know, you can't take it away because it was a good defensive performance, but it wasn't the biggest test we'll see this year. So they did what they needed to do. Um, and the offense did the rest. So the offense, um, before we get into the skill players, cause we're going to have a lot of fun with them and they're all competing for our game balls, our play of the games this week. Um, Everything starts at the line. You know, I always like to start with the line. I thought this was our offensive line's best game of the year. Um, there were a couple moments. Obviously, every game has their moments with, with an offensive line. But this was the first game I can remember, again, at least against an, a defense this strong, that Kenneth Walker had room to run straight. He was running up the middle and not getting touched until he was in the defensive backfield, which is a huge difference. And it's the difference between him making a man miss in a gain of eight versus making a safety miss in a gain of 30, 40, 94. Um, and, and you could see it throughout the game. He was getting chunks and it started with the offensive line. On top of that, in the other phase of the game, Rutgers recorded exactly zero sacks and had one QB hurry. They hurried Peyton Thorne once in the entire game. And this is, again, not the best defensive line we'll see all year. I'm putting plenty of qualifiers on this, but they hurried Peyton Thorne one time. It's still a good game. front seven. I mean, that's the one thing you we can talk about Rutgers not having a good offense. Their front seven is at least league average. They have a good group there, and they were just completely neutralized, like you said. Shout out Colton Pouncey. He was uh, from The Athletic. He did... Uh, kind of deep dive on the O-line metrics and, you know, some things from football outsiders that it was really showing basically that the, the improvement of the offensive line from like last year, two years ago, three years to this year has been amazing. The amount of times that, you know, we're, we're the success rate of the offense and the, and the running game is largely attributed to, to a much better performance from the offensive line. Are they elite? No not by any stretch of the imagination, but are they at the very least league average at, at the best above average and, you know, top three, four in the big 10, uh, the metrics might say that they are. So, uh, that's been a huge development. And like you said, they, they were a huge key to the game. I would agree with you there outside of Luke Campbell, trying to take a, a fumble recovery to the house, just fall on it. Big fella. I'm sure that, that they'll talk about that in the film room. But uh, no, they, they had a great game. Yeah, I mean, it's just great to see uh, room to build on and you need consistency. I mean, we've seen with offensive lines before they can have a good game and turn around and have and lay an egg. So it's all about consistency. I actually, it was pretty cool. I mentioned we were down low near the field and the, you know, each position group has their kind of spot on the bench, right? And the offensive line's little huddle was like right to our right in front of us. So we got to see Chris Kapilovich working his magic. And um, my fiance Aubrey was with me at the game and she came out and she was laughing. She was like, I feel like those poor kids were getting chewed out the entire three hours. Like, and it was, I think it was just intensity. Like even when Chris Kapilovich is praising you, it comes off like really strong. But these guys, as soon as they were off the field, you know, the guys coming off the field would take the five seats. The second string would stand behind them. And as soon as everybody was in a huddle, he was screaming about something. Um, so for better or for worse, no, these dudes are getting coached hard. And I think we're seeing some of the um, the benefits of that. Uh, that's Chris that's one thing. 
Yeah, that's one thing that, you know, the the video clip came out, you know, Mel Tucker in the locker room as, you know, they'll always put a couple clips. And it was basically something to the extent of, you know, why settle for anything else when you can be great? And he was talking about like in the locker room after the game and talking about how they're they're coaching so hard because they know what they can get out of these kids. And you could just like, we're not there. You can't really feel it from the, but you could kind of, it was tangible that the team was bought in everything you were saying, the whole team, full eye contact, every, after everything, it was, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like you could tell that no matter how hard they're coaching these kids, no matter how probably obnoxious they are on the practice field because every detail is getting just emphasized to the max they're bought in and it you know everybody coaches hard everybody is is a tough coach it just matters if if the players believe that they're doing it in good faith basically right and it seems like not only are are the coaches operating in good faith but the the players are buying into it and, and they're accepting that like, Hey, I know coach is going to chew me out for this one, but it's because I made a mistake and I want to learn from that. And I want to get better. And, and they're really accepting that coaching and that, that part above everything else has been really exciting. Um, you know, with a new coach, new head coach and a whole new staff, like you, you never know what's going to be the buy-in you never know how it's going to translate and seemingly from the video clips that we get you know we're not there in the huddle we're not there at practice uh but from what we can gather it it really seems like you know there's there is something there but no it's you know the the offensive line like you said and outstanding i know you want to talk about this so i'll i'll open the door for you peyton thorn is not getting enough credit. I I was trying to articulate a point like the Kenneth Walker is responsible for Michigan state getting to six wins. And I'm not saying that he's responsible for us getting to six and no, I'm saying that if we look at like a, the Javon ringer year or the Le'Veon bell year in 2012, if we just turned around and handed the ball off to Kenneth Walker on every play, like we did for with Le'Veon and ringer in those years, he could get us to six wins because there are enough winnable games on the schedule. And he's a special enough player that he could go out there. We could churn out 24 points and and come out with a win. Peyton Thorne is what's bringing this team to, to completely new expectations of nine wins, 10 wins, because he has played just tremendous football since the start of this season and just keeps getting better and better and better. And I, you know, I'll open the door for you, but it's like, we haven't been talking it. Kenneth Walker's getting a lot of love deservedly. So Jaden Reed has gotten a lot of love deservedly. So Peyton Thorne somehow as the quarterback, right. That like, this is never this, the case where, uh, you know, the quarterback's not getting enough credit. Like when have we ever said that in the sport of football, but he's not, he really isn't. Yeah. I said it last week. Um, on one of the episodes that there's this narrative or has been at least up into this week that Peyton Thorne's just a great game manager, you know, level-headed, the guy that his, his teammates can look to for kind of a stable, um, you know, force in the huddle. 
and he'll do what he needs to, but won't be asked to, to do too much. And, you know, watching him week in and week out and it's accelerating. He's an exceptional passer. Um, these, these passes he's making, you can look at them and you can say, well, any, any quarterback should be able to make that throw, you know, Jalen Naylor's beat his guy by seven yards. Anyone should drop, but that's not the case. I mean, you, you, I was watching Nebraska and Michigan last night and, you know, I'm not saying this just to, to rag on Michigan, but Cade McDonald, there were a couple throws where his guy was wide open, you know, 30, 40 yards down the field and he misses him. He, he overthrows him. He underthrows him. And it, it, he allows the defender to get back into the play and make a play on the ball, or he overshoots him for by five yards when the receivers have a lot of separation. It's not as easy as Peyton Thorne makes it look. And it, you can take it to a further degree. You look at like a backup, uh, the Penn state backup that came in yesterday and granted he's very inexperienced, fine, but he's played quarterback his entire life and he's missing open guys downfield he- by a lot. I, we've mentioned this before of like, why don't they show, you know, of, of the, uh, the broadcast, right? Why don't they show it from behind the quarterback so that you can see all the things that they make look really easy are incredibly difficult. And some of the things Peyton Thorne has made look really easy are really, really hard. That Penn state quarterback was, was a perfect example of like, this position is really, really hard. Like being a quarterback is really hard. And I think partly because of the broadcast angle that they don't show you and partly because it's just impossible to really get a grip of, of how tight the windows are and everything. Like some of the things Peyton Thorne has done this year are, are not going to, I, there was on the, the first touchdown, right, where they did the little fake bubble screen to Jaden Reed and hit Naylor down the sideline. Like, all right, yeah, he was wide open. I get it. But there was also a defensive tackle who got pressure right in his face, and he just cools a cucumber, sidestepped him, kept his eyes downfield, and put it in the bucket. I, I mean, it's just some of the things he's making look really easy are not. And that's why we wanted to make sure we mentioned this because he's really not getting enough credit for some of the really difficult things that he's making look easy. Yeah. Yeah. The second touchdown to Jalen Naylor, uh, right sideline corner route, Beautiful throw. 30, 35 yards downfield puts it perfectly on the outside shoulder. Jaden Reed, not Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor looks up, basically just has to put his hands out in front of him and the ball slap smacks right into him. Um, Same he does, with he the, does the rest. Uh, same with the Trey Mosley post corner. There was a deep completion yeah, there. On the left side. That's yeah. an NFL throw right there. There was the one that he was com- that he completed that was beautiful. There was another one that there was a, a no call pass interference. They threw the flag and then picked it up. Mm-hmm. That was I, that was right on the money too. It just wasn't completed. Uh, he's making NFL throws left and right, and yeah, it's it's yeah, been those... outstanding ball all year. Those couple Trey mostly corner routes to the left side. I mean, these are bootlegs against the quarterback's arm where he's rolling out to the left. He has to open up his body on the run and flick the ball out. Anybody who's tried that throw knows how challenging it is to get any kind of power or accuracy on a throw like that. And he's dropping it right in the bucket, 30, 35 yards down the field. Um, and yeah, I mean, none of this works without Peyton Thorne making the plays. His completion percent, you could argue, uh, you know, it's at like low 60%, 62% this year. Fine. But he's also throwing the ball 30 plus yards downfield right. five to 10 <laughs> times a game. So that so it's the Connor Cook thing, right? Connor Cook's completion percentage at his career at Michigan State was like 58% or something. 
because every throw they were asking him to make was 15 yards down the field to one-on-one coverage. Like it was, so you're not getting the Oklahoma offense where they're throwing bubble screens every other play or the Ohio state offense where they're just running crossers and, and they're easy reads and easy throws for the quarterback. They're asking him to make really difficult throws down the field and so, yeah, don't get fooled by the completion percentage. That is that is a very flawed stat, depending on which offense you're running. Yeah, so long story short, if this wasn't an, a Kenneth Walker offense, a Jaden Reed offense, a Jalen Naylor track meet, Peyton Thornton would be getting a lot more love. Thank God we have him for another year or two uh, because he deserves his time to be appreciated as the star of the offense that he is. Um, right now, he's just insulated by a lot of other stars. And and we were talking about this before we started recording that this is starting to turn into an offense that we're going to be talking about for a long time. I mean, we talk about the 2014 offense, the only D'Antonio offense that even sniffed 500 yards per game. D'Antonio never even had an offense above 400 yards per game other than 2014, uh, which was like 500 and change. Um, this is starting to look like that kind of offense where there are just forces coming together at the perfect time. We're going to have Kenneth Walker for one year. It's pretty clear now, barring a, a terrible injury. I'm knock on wood. Hopefully nothing like that happens. Or, He's gone. or just an insane decision to come back, which I, I don't like, obviously as a fan, I would support him coming back, but as a rational human being, it's like, no, 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 no. But I'm sure Mel Tucker will say it to him too. Tom Izzo does this all the time with guys where he's like, no, like don't come back. Miles Bridges, don't you dare come back to East Lansing. Like go get paid, go have a career. I'm sure that's what Mel Tucker will be saying after this season. Like Ken, we love you, buddy. If you, if you are desperately begging me to come back, obviously we'll take you, but please go like, don't, don't make this decision on emotion. Go especially as a running back where your career is one of the shortest of any position in the NFL. You've got to make your money while you can. And his game looks ready for the NFL. I mean, he has everything an NFL coordinator would be looking for. Um, So he'll likely be gone. Jaden reads a little closer, but I think there's going to be a conversation if he keeps up what he's doing. Um, I don't, I mean, especially when it comes to Kenneth Walker, we were talking about this. This is not, he's not a product of this offense. He's, he's a product of, I don't know, God, like he is (laughs) the word generational is, is starting to get tossed around. And maybe some people use that a little bit loosely, but he is for Michigan state football, a generational talent, honestly, from what I've seen so far, and he's got better defenses to come. He looks like the all around best back that I I've seen in the green and white. And I, I, that's no disrespect to Javon Ringer, to Le'Veon Bell, to anybody else who's come before him. Jeremy Langford deserves note. I was not alive for the earlier days of Lorenzo White or those kinds of guys, but um, he looks phenomenal. Um, and and we're just not going to be able to replace that year in and year out, at least not this early in Mel Tucker's tenure. So this this offense, I mean, enjoy it while you can, folks, because I don't think we're going to see this kind of thing every year, and and it's been a lot of fun. So let's talk about how we won this game. I mean, the defense played great. We probably would have won it without this offense, but man, what a fun! I mean, let's start with Jalen Naylor. Yeah, right? I mean, it's they, it's the big plays. Jalen Naylor. <laughs> He had, there's the Big Ten Network put this out. Um, 
the highest yards per reception in a game by a Big Ten player since 2000, 21 years ago, minimum five catches. Jalen Naylor tops the list with 44 yards per reception. Charles Rogers in a game against Wisconsin had 41.2. And then it drops down to 35, 33, 44 yards per reception for Jalen Naylor. It was just hilarious watching him run uncontested behind the secondary seemingly every other drive, especially early in that game. It was a heck of a performance. And, you know, just two weeks ago, Scott, we were talking about, like, where is the Jalen Naylor thing? You know, where what's wrong with the Peyton Thorne to Jalen Naylor connection? Last week they go out, what was it, like eight catches over 100 yards. We're like, all right, you know, that's that was great to see. Jalen Naylor's back. And then all of a sudden he puts together one of the best statistical performance by a Big Ten receiver in the history of the conference. Yeah, I mean, you look at, we were talking about that. You mentioned he had a great game last week, eight catches, 132 yards, something like that. Um, now you look at the season stats and I know Jaden Reed's doing a little bit more in the return game and a little bit more running, but you look at receiving Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor now both have 23 receptions. Jaden Reed has 492 yards. Jalen Naylor has 490. Jaden Reed has five receiving touchdowns. Jalen Naylor has six. So all of a sudden, two weeks ago, we're like, this is the Jaden Reed show. Trey Mosley's looking kind of good. Where the hell is Jalen Naylor? Now, all of a sudden, Jalen Naylor might be the best receiver on the team, just like that. So we were talking about it's kind of the the missing link, right, in this passing game. If if, I I remember saying, if we can just find this Jalen Naylor connection, this offense is going to be spectacular. Here it is, and look what it's become. And we could have done more on offense than we did, 31 points. I, I, it sounds crazy saying this living through the D'Antonio era felt kind of disappointing with the way that our offense played on Saturday. Yeah, it and, felt and, like we should have been in the forties and past that you got Trey Mosley the last four weeks, 57 yards, 70 yards, 57 yards, 59 yards, just steadily putting together really solid games. And anytime we go to him, he makes the catch. He'll break a tackle. He'll get you a first down. He's been playing really good ball recently too. He's got over 300 yards on the year. So this, like I I saw a bunch of hyperbole on Twitter, but it, it, the reality is that this skill group of the three receivers, Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, Trey Mosley, and the running back, Kenneth Walker, when you have a good quarterback in Peyton Thorne, who's making the throws, who's manipulating the pocket, who knows what he's doing out there it's really hard to game plan against these guys. I mean, if you go in, let's say Indiana next week, good defense. Again, if you go in and say, all right, we are selling out. We are stopping Kenneth Walker. We are not letting this guy beat us. We're not allowing a hundred yards rushing. All right, that's fine. We'll throw the ball 50 times and we will torch you downfield with these three receivers. If they game plan and say, all right, nothing over the top, right? We're, we're going to play blanket coverage we're playing two high safeties every play we're going to make sure that they're not beating us with the deep ball all right we'll give the ball to kenneth walker 30 times good luck stopping him it's there are so many ways that we can beat you and if if these guys if these guys just keep doing what they're doing i i don't know how a defense holds them under 30 points 
it's it's gotten to that point where like the floor of this offense is probably about 30 points and that is something i didn't expect to be saying probably at any point in my michigan state fandom but especially not this season yeah and i'll say i mean maybe we're a prisoner of the moment a little bit i mean just three weeks ago we played nebraska and our offense laid an egg and honestly i think a lot of that was on the offensive line and i, I mean they had a great game, so I don't want to take anything away from them, but they got worked by Nebraska's front seven, but Nebraska's front seven did the exact same thing to Michigan last night. They look like a very legit defense. So, I mean, you can feel okay about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this offense it's, and they're only going to get better, right? I mean, they're, we mentioned Jalen Naylor has emerged now as another threat. Connor Hayward's been quiet, but I saw somebody online saying, I'm waiting for that game where, um Connor Hayward goes like eight catches 150 yards right it's like, against Michigan it's not we all know we all know are ready for that <laughs> he did have two touchdown catches last year against Michigan so we'll see that exactly um, but, no that will be the game where like all right hey like the announcers will be talking about it early like wow they have found a way to shut down all of these playmakers and then we'll just be tossing it to Connor Hayward he's bowling dudes over he's hurtling people that's going to be the Connor Hayward game yeah, so it's it's fun, um, and it, hopefully it'll continue. You mentioned Indiana, good defense coming up. We'll obviously pre- preview them later this week. They had a bye week this week, and an interesting matchup because they've played three really good teams and two really bad teams, so it's kind of hard to get a read on them, but we'll get into all that. Last note here, because Kenneth Walker is the best player on this team, um, I want to give him his his due credit here the Heisman campaign has officially hit the ground running. People have been talking about it for a long time, but the program after that performance finally said, all right, we're halfway through the year. Kenneth Walker's clearly the best back in the country so far. We're getting behind this thing. We're getting building the hype train. We're putting the pedal down on it and he deserves it. That was an incredible performance. Take out his 94 yard run. It was still a phenomenal. Performance. He still has 129 yards without that play. <laughs> right. And he had a touchdown that got called back on a, on a penalty that wouldn't have even impacted the play. So yeah. He's... And, and then the other thing too, is, you know, like there's a lot of times where it's like, all right, well, yeah, there was that long play that, on that long play, he had three broken tackles. Like he, he was making people like, it's not like it was just, you know, that, that Northwestern original play, like he got to the corner and that was speed. And that, you know, a lot of that was him, but he didn't really have to do much. He just ran it up the sideline, right? This play, he was making people miss. There was a, I, I needed to make sure that I shouted this out. Jaden Reed with the downfield blocking there was the reason that that was a 94 yard touchdown and not a 50 yard run. Jaden Reed, awesome job on that again just shows the buy-in from the team when your receivers are blocking 50 yards downfield uh that's something special but yeah without the 94 yard touchdown he still has 129 yards and on that 94 yard touchdown he did a lot of the work so he deserves that 94 yard touchdown adapted up with Jalen Naylor at the 20 yard line yep. and waved. I, he did a wave like right when he broke through and realized what was happening. And I can't, I still can't tell if it was like a little bye-bye to Rutgers or if he was like waving his team along of like, let's all run <laughs> in together. Either way. Um, the 13, dude is electric. I, it was, I went back and rewatched it. I counted 13 broken tackles. You know, I don't, for all the people that do these metrics, I don't know what they came up with. From me watching every Kenneth Walker carry from this game, 
I saw 13 broken tackles. That doesn't count the situations where it was just really good vision, where he he kind of made somebody miss, but he more just beat him to the spot. Uh, this was like one-on-one, you're trying to tackle me. I either run through you or run, run around you. 13 broken tackles that I counted here. On top of just, again, like there was the there was a swing pass out to the right and it was, it's, it goes to vision, right? As soon as he caught that ball, he stuck his foot in the ground and ran right back to the middle of the field. Cause he's like, Nope, there's nothing to the sideline here. Ran back to the middle. He made a guy miss and got like 15 yards. And it was just like, wait, how did you, you just caught the ball. How did you already see that that was happening? I mean, he's a special player, man. Yeah. And I'll say this, um, Kevin and I have been talking about what it takes to win the Heisman as a running back in this era of college football. And I'm not going to say he's not going to do it. It's a buzzkill thing. And it's, we don't know yet. I will say it's going to be an uphill battle. It's very challenging to win the Heisman trophy as a running back, especially on a team that if we're being honest with ourselves, likely will not be contending for the playoff. Um, it's hard. It's Plus hard 6, to, do to win the national championship right now. That's well, better than it was. I put <laughs> five bucks on them at like plus, I don't know, 30,000 or something. But anyway, um, it's going to be tough. It's, he's going to have to keep putting together tremendous performances against a lot better defenses. It's and even be probably improve the pace a little bit that we mentioned. Yeah. Like. But to be in this conversation, and I think having a Heisman finalist is certainly a, a reasonable goal with where he's at right now. To have that with where this program was a year ago, two years ago, I mean, and that's just putting it, I mean, we're 6-0 and also, but just focusing on Kenneth Walker, what that can do for a program, you're looking at recruits who are saying, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Michigan State had some good running backs back in the day, but they've been, you know, they've been having a tough half decade here. Do I really, well, they just, I've been finalist Kenneth, I mean. Right, when you see him, these, when you see him with the suit, in Radio City Music Hall in New York on at the Heisman Trophy ceremony. It doesn't matter if he doesn't win because that's just what that, that broadcast is like an hour. That's an hour of Michigan State football advertising for recruits. That's what that is, right? Yeah. So credit to him. I mean, honestly, I think he's doing the lion's share of what we're seeing. I mean, credit to the offensive line as well. He'll be the first one to give them credit and the receivers blocking downfield. It's all been coming together, but put a big 10 average back in um, and you see a different story. I mean, you see a competent running game. That's not winning games, but it's doing what you need to Kenneth Walker. You mentioned he's the type of back who can win games when everything else gets shut down. You're against bad opponents. He will win a game. Yeah. And, and that takes a, a hell of a player, especially in the big 10 and um, no yeah, shade I mean, to I, Jordan Simmons, but if he's, if he's our number one back, it's a good player, right? I, I like what I, he brings to the table. If he's our lead back on Saturday afternoon, he's probably running for 90 yards and a touchdown, right? He's not running for 200 plus and, and a touchdown. Um, yeah, I mean, same offensive line and a lot of the same scenarios. Jordan Simmons is averaging 4.9 yards per carry. Still good. Still mm-hmm. definitely above where you need it to be to have a functioning run game. Kenneth Walker is at 7.1. It's just a different breed of back. He has a different ability to create for himself in space against one-on-ones and two-on-ones and three-on-ones, as we've seen. Um, so, yeah, I think we leave it at Kenneth Walker. We get into our game well, balls. So last, the last game. thing I want to make sure I bring up uh, before we get to the game ball and, and play the game. So this is the fourth 
six and zero start for Michigan State football since 1967. That's a long time. This is the fourth time that we've been six and zero to start a year. Obviously, before there were shorter seasons, there were less non-conference games, so on and so on. But it's happened four times. The first time, 1999, we finished that season ten and two. That was Nick Saban's last season. We won the Citrus Bowl with Bobby Williams uh, interim. 2010, that was the 11 and two seasons behind Kirk Cousins. We went to the Capital One Bowl. I was in attendance with us getting just bludgeoned to death by Alabama. 2015, again, I was in attendance when we got bludgeoned by Alabama in the college football playoff. I wrote this down as like, a, wow, that's an interesting stat. Every time we start 6-0, and we've, we've won at least 10 games. Um, and then Mason in our group chat astutely pointed out that every time we've, we've started six and zero since 1967, Nick Saban is attached to it somehow, whether he was the coach or we played against him in a bowl game. So leave that interpretation, how you will, uh, maybe Nick Saban will, will have, uh, uh something to do with this season down the road. But yeah, this, that's, that was an amazing stat that came out. Cause you know, you look at that run with the Rose bowl and then in 2014 we go to, and you're like, we've had six and zero, right? It's only halfway through the year. That has to have happened a bunch of times since nope, four times since 1967. So um, I, I brought this up on Twitter. So I have to at least uh, shout out everybody that, that responded. I said, uh, basically fill in the brain, fill in the blank. If this happens, we will win 10 games this year. And I want to shout out the responses. Thayer Morton, our boy, said, no other significant contributors get injured. Spartan Bot, Spartan18770 says, Walker and company continues to run the ball well. All right. Scott L. Brown says, we don't turn the ball over. We stay healthy. We continue to be disciplined and execute at a high level. Simple, right? <laughs> the, the funny thing between all three of those is like, Basically, just keep do what what you're doing. Like it's, it, which is crazy to say, but yeah, ten wins suddenly within reach. Six and zero. Here we are. Uh, let's give out our game balls. Let's give out our play of the games. Uh, Scott, where do you want to start there? Can I can I speak unanimous, unanimously for the play of the game? I think yes. It, I I, yes. I would love to split it up just for the sake of diversity, but it, it doesn't seem fair in this instance. Play of the game. Kenneth Walker, 94-yard touchdown run, made a few guys miss. It was a team effort. Everybody set up their blocks well, dapped it up on the way into the end zone. Um, on top of it, Heisman moment. On top of that, in a pretty key moment. At that point, it was a one-score yeah. game. It was deep into the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter. Again, an eight-point game. That blew it open. Right. So yeah. it, on top of the obvious, which was just a, an amazing run and an amazing play in a vacuum in a key moment, it, it really kind of flipped the game to the point where it, when you were watching on your couch, you're like, all right, there we go. Like that, that gives us a breathing room. That's going to be the one that, that really ices this game. So on top of the obvious in a huge moment, it was a pretty clutch play. All right. I'll let you kick off our uh, players of the game here. Game balls, yeah, I should say. So the game ball, um, I, I'll just kind of toss out a couple honorable mentions. I think Simeon Barrow deserves to be recognized here. Uh, I gave it to Jacob Slade a couple weeks ago as a defensive tackle. Simeon Barrow had an outstanding game. He deserves to be shouted out. Peyton Thorne had a great game, deserves to be recognized. 
Kenneth Walker, obviously had a great game deserves to be recognized, but how can it be anyone other than Jalen Naylor? Five catches for 221 yards and three touchdowns, 44 yards per catch. Again, the highest number since 2000 in the entire conference. Um, That's a performance that you, you don't see every day. You don't see every year. You don't see every five or six years. That was one of the best games a wide receiver has ever put forth in the big 10. And he did it in five touches. Every time he touched the ball, something big broke. Um, A lot of it was just him getting behind the defense. A lot of it, you know, on that fake bubble screen was just good play design and a good throw by the quarterback, but things that he was doing after the catch things that he was doing, you know, once the ball were in his hands, he is so fast. He is so tough to stop. Uh, Jalen Naylor gets my game ball this week. Again, one of the best yardage production receiving performances that the conference has ever seen. And I want to make sure that that's emphasized. Yeah. And credit where credit's due. I, sometimes I feel like guys who their main um, asset is speed don't get enough credit because like being fast is hard. It's, yeah. it's hard to be that fast. So like you mentioned the great play design on his first touchdown, but like not every receiver can do that because not every receiver can outrun the entire team. So like in the second touchdown, he outran like four defenders and who had head starts on him. Like we need to recognize, like we watch Kenneth Walker break a tackle because that's what he does. Well, Jalen Naylor essentially breaks tackles because dudes can't catch up to him. So it's, you know, it looks easy. It looks like a, a bust in coverage, but the dude did his work to make that play possible. So shout yeah, out to him. The second touchdown, like again, shout out Trey Mosley's had a great year. Trey Mosley doesn't score on that play. No chance. Right. Jalen Naylor right. catches it, realizes like, huh, I haven't gotten tackled yet. There's a lot of space on the opposite side of the field. I'm just going to run over there and <laughs> nobody can yeah. catch him. So I'm really split here. Um, Kenneth Walker deserves a game ball because it's, he has already spoiled us. He had 232 rushing yards in a game and we're considering not giving him a game ball here. (laughs) So I'm just going to get selfish because we make the rules here and I'm going to give out two game balls. Um, Kenneth Walker gets one for the obvious reasons. We've talked about him a lot, but one guy who has not gotten his credit here, Matt Coughlin broke the school record for made field goals ever as a Michigan state Spartan. And we've had some dudes at kicker. Yep. Um, and certainly the extra eligibility has helped, but everybody has their different weird things that help their stats when you break a record. Right. And he only had one field goal and he missed a field goal. It was not his best game of his career, but he's put in five or six now years of hard work, chipping away, making field goals, winning games. And he's been up and down at times too, but he's put in a ton to this program. He broke a enormous record. He broke another one a couple weeks ago with the all-time scoring record at Michigan State. And the dude deserves his credit, even if he's not kicking six field goals a game. Uh, he's been working at this a long time. He's been a stable force through a lot of instability in this program. And, and he broke one of the hardest records to break uh, on Saturday. Yeah. So game ball, Matt Coughlin. I'm glad you said that he got the actual game ball too, from Mel Tucker. So that, that was cool. Um, no, I, I was definitely going to ma- mention this obviously as a kicker, kicker pride here. Um, he, he's had a, an up and down career, but it all in all, he's had a great career. And like you said, man, Brett Swenson was an 
amazing kicker. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him at, at a Michigan State camp uh, a lot shorter than I thought he was. He's a very short man, uh, but he was a great kicker. Dave Rayner, uh, Dan Conroy, Paul Edinger, Morton Anderson, arguably the greatest kicker in the history of the sport. Uh, Dan Conroy, you had Michael Geiger for a few years there. Like, It seems like Michigan State has always had a good kicker. And Matt Coughlin has found himself uh, at the top of that list in terms of field goals made. He is, uh, right now, he is 26 points away from being the highest scorer. Brett Swenson still holds that record with 377 points. Um, so we'll see if if that is going to be something he can reach by the end of this year. I'm guessing he can uh, when you just kind of do some basic back of the napkin math and looking at how many extra points he's probably going to make and a, add, throw a couple field goals in there. Uh, he, he might be your all-time leading scorer uh, in terms of the kicking position. I think uh, that Lorenzo White actually holds that record. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, no, it actually is Brett Swenson. So yeah, he's he might be your all-time leading scorer at Michigan State uh, by the end of this season, which is Let's pretty cool. Let's put it this way. He he has we're halfway through the regular season he has 52 points already this year he needs another 28 stiffer right. competition but stay healthy offense keeps doing their thing he should be seeing the top of that list as well my bad for getting that one wrong i could have sworn he broke some other record a couple weeks ago but maybe i'm this offense just has my head in a pretzel <laughs> because it's all it's all new it's all uh unexpected but yeah shout out matt coglin and kenneth walker my game balls you had Jalen Naylor play the game. Kenneth Walker's long touchdown potential again, Heisman moment. It will be on any highlight reel for his Michigan state career forever. Yeah. He's been our kicker for 50 games. The last 50 Jeez. games he's been our kicker. That's insane, man. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's kind of, he is, he is the like Frank Gore kicker, right? It's just, he's just quietly <laughs> accumulating stats and Everybody loves Frank Gore. He's a Hall of Famer, right? It, there's something to be said about just being being there every day, being consistent every day. Uh, there is something to be said about that. So, uh, yeah, outstanding job his whole career. Uh, obviously, he's a fan favorite for the mullet, but he's a good kicker as well. Yeah, and so we went a little long. It was fun. It was a fun game to break down. I think this is one of our longer episodes in a long time. If you mm-hmm. made it this far, thank you for sticking around. We had fun. We didn't want to miss anything. You only get so many games where this many really exciting things happen at once. Um, Especially so yeah, when you, you, it, you add in the context. We're already bowling. You know, it's there's a lot going on here. So like, like Scott said there, we appreciate all of you. You guys are the best. Leave a review on Apple podcast. Again, like you mentioned, follow us, uh, go into the, the episode notes. When you click on the episode, the links are there to follow us on Twitter, uh, to head to the website and all of that. We really appreciate all of the support, please. If, if you are listening and you have been listening and you enjoy this, tell one of your Spartan friends, right? Just, just send one text, send the link and just be like, Hey, this is a good breakdown of the game, right? If you appreciate us, just send it out to one friend and, and we would, we would really, really appreciate that. We're trying to keep growing this thing uh, as much as we can. And, and for that, we appreciate. So um, yeah, until, uh, until Wednesday, when we break down this Indiana game, uh, I hope you guys have a good 
start to the work week here. It's always, it's always nice going into work on Monday after a win, uh, especially as somebody that doesn't really care about the lions anymore. Cause I know they're going to lose, right. There's something about going into your office, especially if you're, if you're local in the state of Michigan and you know, you got your Michigan guy who's at the desk next to you or whatever it might be. Uh, there's something nice about going into the office on a Monday after a win. So uh, I hope everybody enjoys that. We'll see you guys Wednesday as we break down the Indiana game. Until then, go green. Go white. Take care, folks.